Hello. Hi. Before the episode this week, we just want to make a quick request for you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Yes, do it, please. Thanks so much. We appreciate you. We do. And now the episode. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Hello. Hi. I'm Grace. And I am Madeline. And we are Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they're maybe even better for adults. Yeah. This week, it's a holiday spectacular. Grace is doing a little dance with... <laughs> I'm going to put some kind of royalty-free <laughs> Christmas music behind oh, this. Oh, so exciting. Um, <laughs> so- royalty-free music, you say? I've never <laughs> heard of that in a podcast Let's before. get that. We are covering... Hogfather by Terry Pratchett. Yay. Yay. We love doing Terry Pratchett books. I know. We're never going to stop. And this is also a listener request from last year. We were going to do this at Christmas time. We just we ran, did not. ran out of time. <laughs> yeah. um, but this was a request from Joe. Thank you, Joe. Yay, Joe. If you have a request for a book you'd like for us to cover, just shoot us an email at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. That's our email. So... As a prelude to this holiday extravaganza, I just want to say that as we wrap up 2018, we're just realizing what a great time we had doing the podcast this year and how rewarding it's been to hear from you and have your support. And I'm just so dang appreciative of all of you, of all our listeners. Yeah. In all seriousness, this is a really, really fun project that we get to do. Um, It has re-sparked in a lot of ways my just absolute love and attachment to reading fantasy books. Um, And uh, thanks for coming along with us on that journey. Yeah, we get a lot of messages actually saying that you're happy that we're continuing to do the podcast. I think it's funny because maybe in the beginning we seemed like we were a little scared or a little uncertain of where things would go. What is this going to be? And if you do listen to our initial episodes, we did, I mean, just have to figure it all out and make things work a bit more smoothly. And by no means are we at... You know, radio lab status right now. We rent a recording studio. No, we don't. No. <laughs> we're in my apartment right now in it was my a office. It's a joke. It's a joke. But yeah, we're going to try to continue to improve and also cover more of the books that y'all are interested in while working in our own funny memories of reading them or similar books similar to them. Um, so yeah, we're, we have no plans of slowing down or stopping. No. And, uh, as you've noticed, we've been on a more consistent production schedule lately that we hope to continue into the new year. Grace is really excited about it. I love scheduling our episodes because then I get to know what we're reading next. I'm so excited. Um, Grace is just a really good scheduler. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I know that's a compliment, but she, yeah, it also sounds like I'm kind of a dull person. <laughs> No, scheduling is important. Otherwise, when will the fun happen? It it keeps my life moving sanely forward. I'll Mm, say that much. Speaking of sanity, let's talk about Hogfather. Yeah. (laughs) This is a book that I have read before. It was released in 1996. Madeline, since she's new to Terry Pratchett and Discworld and all of its wonders. I'm sorry. New-ish. New-esque. But didn't read them when you were younger is all I meant to No, I, I first read a Terry Pratchett book in college. 
So she is fresh to Hog's Watch and all of its treacly delights and sickly dangers. Deathly. We will start out with just a quick little marketing breakdown of the way the book was packaged, the edition that we hold today, and mm-hmm. what it might say to new readers perusing the shelves. This is, okay, so we've talked a bit about Terry Pratchett's different illustrators, um, his cover illustrators. Because his books have been published time and time again. Anyway, the publisher didn't choose to include the name of the illustration on this cover, maybe because it's more of a piece of graphic design than an illustration, Mm -hmm. I would say. Um, So it's one of the mass market paperback versions um, that are, you know, just sort of thick and there to get the job done. Um, We have a border of scythes with candy cane. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) Bows. And a graphic of a smugly smiling hog father with tusks jutting out from his white beard. Yeah. It's a little disturbing. Which is funny because Hogfather's barely in it. It is fascinating to have him represented on the cover because, as Madeline said, we spend so little time with him. And then the time we do spend isn't, most of it isn't even him in his modern state, the mm-hmm. sort of Santa yeah. version that we know and love or He's fear. reverted into a more primal Ancient. state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I get it. I mean, if you can put Santa on the cover of your book, who doesn't love Santa? Who doesn't want to read a book about Santa? But this isn't really a book about Santa, as no Terry Pratchett book really is about the obvious thing that you would think it is about. Yeah. And now for the plot summary on the back of the book. Who would want to harm Discworld's most beloved icon? Very few things are held sacred in this twisted, corrupt, heartless, and oddly familiar universe, but the Hogfather is one of them. Yet here it is, Hog's Watch Night, that most joyous and acquisitive of times, and the jolly old red-suited gift-giver has vanished without a trace. And there's something shady going on involving an uncommonly psychotic member of the Assassin's Guild and certain representatives of Ankh Morporg's rather extensive criminal element. Suddenly, Discworld's entire myth system is unraveling at an alarming rate. Drastic measures must be taken, which is why Death himself is taking up the reins of the fat man's vacated sleigh, which in turn has Death's level-headed granddaughter, Susan, racing to unravel the nasty, humbuggian mess before the holiday season goes straight to hell and takes everyone along with it. (laughs) A lot happens. (laughs) <laughs> we start, you know, pretty much every description of Terry Pratchett plots with just a, oy vey, Ooh. how can we get through this? But I think this was a pretty streamlined yeah. version mm-hmm. of yeah. the events that take place. Typical Pratchettian fashion. There's so Pratchett. many characters and the ones that you start the book with, you don't see again for another 200 or so pages. Yeah. But they're incredibly instrumental to the plot. And the rise of action. So for those who haven't read the book before or who haven't revisited it in a while, Madeline, would you like to give us a plot summary of your own? I would, Grace. Thank you. Okay, so this this book kind of jumps around the big plot point suddenly pretty Mm -hmm. early on in the book, which is very interesting and I, I actually I hadn't read this before so I checked to make sure that my the version of the book I was reading online wasn't like missing some things because it 
okay, this is a bad job of doing the summary. <laughs> well, I like that we get, basically get the teaser. Mm-hmm. Okay, this book is about killing Santa. Yeah. And yeah. then we get a lot of characterization that makes mm-hmm. that process or that attempt all the more interesting and mm-hmm. humorous. Yeah. And then we get back to what actually might be happening mm-hmm. yes. around that murder plot. Yeah. So basically it opens on the Assassin's Guild and some uh, spooky uh, literal cloaks just showing up and asking them to kill Santa. And so they... Hogfather. And when we say Santa... We shouldn't say Santa. We should say Hogfather. We're just using our... He's an extremely obvious clone of Santa Mm -hmm. and a spoof of Santa and Christmas. But he is the Hogfather. And the assignment is given to a very unsettling member of the Assassin's Guild named Tiat May. So, pause, please. (laughs) let's just insert our pronunciation disclaimer right here we have never and never planned to be able to pronounce any single word from any fantasy book we read correctly thank you for listening not a single one (laughs) even your basic uh pronouns vowels so his name is you know in a running joke that maybe i i you know i think i understand I mean, I get why it's funny, but I don't know why this specifically is his name. But his name is spelled Tea Time mm-hmm. perfectly. Yeah, so everyone like calls tea him time. Mr. Tea Time. And it doesn't show, you know, Terry Pratchett doesn't show him getting angrier. No, he just corrects it. He's people. just constantly correcting people. And I do feel like it is, you know, a certain sort of just draw on his psychotic energy and nature mm-hmm. um, that it sort of brings him down to their level a little bit because everything else about him is so unpredictable and yeah. strange, mm-hmm. but he's going to make sure that you get his name right. Yeah. And I think it's Teatime. Okay. Is how it's supposed to be pronounced. I'm just going to go ahead and say tea time, like all the good okay. characters yeah. in the book. Because we're good characters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I hope. In our own story. Um, so he figures out a way to not exactly kill the Hogfather, but to deaden him, his presence in reality to the extent that the cloak monsters called the auditors who are trying to basically soften all of the rough edges of the universe, which includes life um down a bit they're trying Make to get rid of the predictable yeah they're trying to get rid of the hog father in order to do that and so mr tea time and his crew of uh much more um lesser thieves yeah and murderers i'm trying to say they are more sympathetic characters mm-hmm. mr tea time is not but they basically steal the Tooth Fairy, they steal the Tooth Fairy's realm. They they take it over and they use all of the teeth of the children to cast a spell to convince them that the Hogfather doesn't exist anymore. Death, the anthropomorphic personification, who is my favorite character uh, in Terry Pratchett's books, one of my favorite characters, period, ever, figures this out and has a plan to stop this from uh, occurring, which is to pretend to be the Hogfather himself, so to show up as the Hogfather and reconvince people that the Hogfather is real. Established belief. In the meantime, (laughs) the deficit of this mythical uh, but existing person that is the Hogfather creates space in the universe for other lesser 
little mythical creatures to be popping in whenever someone mentions them. So there's a lot of uh, funny, weird little, like the Veruca gnome uh, creature or the sock eater, which is pretty great. Adorable. Yeah. Uh, to pop into reality. And that is mostly presented from the point of view of the wizards at the Unseen University who are just, it's, they're really fun because they're so hapless and stupid and powerful, but but so stupid. <laughs> yeah, and it's always really interesting for me to spend time with the wizards because they're not my favorite group in Discworld, and I mm-hmm. tend to prefer the books specifically that are about the witches more than anything sure, else. Yeah, and then same. probably after the witches, the watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I do enjoy like spending time with the wizards. Well, the wizards are so funny because. Their characters are so mean. Yeah. Like, I feel like it is Sir Terry just ripping into the big headed academics mm-hmm. of all of history. Yeah. Um, and specifically like the white European right. men. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, it's, it's great. The results are wonderful. It's pretty fun. Yeah. They're so mean. Like their characters are the mean. characterization of Yes. Them. Yeah. yeah. It's just very... Uh, prickly towards them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, The author obviously has no love lost towards them. Uh, So that's all happening. And meanwhile, death stops very briefly at his granddaughter, Susan's abode uh, and convinces her without directly saying to uh, help fix this. So she goes to the tooth fairy's realm, stops the thieves, stops Mr. Tea time. uh, And, there's more <laughs> that happens, but I mean, yeah, that's we can, the general we gist of that. it. Yeah. I think that was a wonderful summary. Thank you. You touched on all Thank the you. important details. Mm-hmm. Eight stars. <laughs> Perfect. Eight out of ten. Yeah, we were just reading a review of the Hogfather adaptation um, that came out on a British television channel mm-hmm. in 2006, and one of the IMDb reviews was... Absolutely perfect. Eight out of ten. So it's an interesting peek <laughs> that's my, into that that's my new marker. Psyche. Yeah, that's what I'm going to be telling people I admire. Eighty <laughs> percent. So where to begin with this? I do. I think that this book is kind of the perfect thing for us to read at Christmas time. Yeah. Uh, for obvious reasons, but also Sir Terry's attitude toward Christmas reflects my own very closely, mm-hmm. which is to say. We have attached an incredible amount of commodification and basically made Christmas into a capitalist tool. Mm -hmm. But there is still a fundamental benefit to humans having some sort of farce like Christmas in their lives, Mm -hmm. something that they can look forward to and build traditions around Mm -hmm. and gather together around. And the entire thesis of the book is that the sun won't come up the next day if Hogfather is no longer believed in. Mm -hmm. But what death says is that, okay, yeah, so a ball of gas will rise in the the sky and warm your atmosphere, Mm -hmm. but the sun won't rise, which is to say humans are losing their ability to frame what's happening around them. And to hope. And to hope for the next day for the sun to rise yeah. again. Mm-hmm. And what Death says at the end about um, these sort of mytho- 
this mythos influencing people and their children. And then when they grow up, they continue to have myths like justice and Mm -hmm. uh, morals and ethics because there's no such thing as those in the universe. They're just dreams that humans aspire to or in Discworld people, not just humans. Um, Really hit home for me. Yeah, I know. There's, I mean, there's so much about those adult attempts to make sense of the world and believe that there are good forces at work mm-hmm. and also about your own mortality. Wait, can I read a passage actually? Can you hand me the book? Mm-hmm. And also about your own mortality. Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever death is involved, obviously we're going to be talking about mortality. Um, he is death. He is death. But when he is physically present, it provides, especially around both adults and children, it provides a new perspective because children can see death and have a greater understanding of what death is because they're not yet afraid to die. Mm -hmm. As practice, you have to start out learning to believe the little lies, Susan, so we can believe the big ones, death. Yes, justice, mercy, duty, that sort of thing. Susan, they're not the same at all. Death, you think so? Then take the universe and grind it down to the finest powder and sieve it into the finest sieve and then show me one atom of justice, one molecule of mercy. And yet, and yet you act as if there is some ideal order in the world, as if there is some some righteousness in the universe by which it may be judged. There is a place where two galaxies have been colliding for a million years, don't try to tell me that's right. Yeah, I could go on. But I just really, really like that uh, as saying, look, the universe is random and chaotic and cold, but people ascribe rightness to it because that's part of being the just chaotic thing that is yeah. being alive. And the very human energy of continuing to strive to move forward mm-hmm. and to in the face of that unending unimaginable chaos mm-hmm. <laughs> and try to continue build some building something that's greater than yourself yeah um yeah. and Discworld, inspirational uh, that's right and Discworld is uh, more of a mess than our present day society in some ways in some ways um, but i mean <laughs> i mean uh, we are over here you know dealing with a, a potentially impending government shutdown oh, because we don't have, you know, I'm, I'm not even going to go into details, but <sighs> I, I, I wish that Sir Terry were still alive for a lot of reasons, but I would love to see a book about Trump. Oh my God. Could you imagine? A he Trump, is. Like, Discworld figure. Because he is a character from Discworld. Oh yeah, absolutely. He, he is, is from Ankh-Morpork. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he's risen through the ranks to become something truly terrible and terrifying. Merry Christmas (laughs) and a happy new year. His term's almost halfway over. Um, What I was going to say about that passage is that it reminds me, like, that's the macro view. And then a good micro example of this concept elsewhere in the book is when the god of hangovers, who is alternately referred to as the O-God. Yes, which I love. <laughs> and as Billius. His name is Billius. Um, I know what Billius means. He's very drunk, of course, and hungover. And Susan is trying to sober him up so that she can get him to help her yeah. with figuring out the metaphysical disaster that's going mm-hmm. on with the missing Tooth Fairy and Hogfather. 
And she asks the wizards if they have anything that would make him sober. And they say that they have something that would remove the drunkenness from his system and put it nicely, scientifically, scientifically, and put it nicely in a small beaker. And they and they say, oh, and of course, the few side effects. And Susan says, okay, tell me more about <laughs> the side effects because she's accustomed to dealing with wizards. And they say, well, the rest of him would end up in a rather larger beaker yeah. to the right of yeah. that. Um, and I... Sorry, finish that. No, it's it's a similar concept. It's like you can't you can't separate the two forces out. Mm-hmm. Everything is so much muddier than you are led to believe when you are young and you're thinking about good and evil and chaos and order and justice and injustice and drunkenness and sobriety. Um, it's a lot more complicated than you'd expect to separate out the two. Yeah. Um, and I just, one of the things that tickled me, um, I mean, everything makes Every, me laugh yeah, <laughs> in I know. Terry Pratchett's books, but I think that, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to read like a whole book about the wizards, but then on the other hand, they make me laugh. Some of like, yeah, most of the things that make me laugh are things that are happening at the Unseen University and um, Hacks. Hex made me laugh so much. I'm obsessed with Hex, and I understand Hex much better now as an adult. Oh, um, yeah. I was thinking I that when I was, I was reading it. I was like, if I was reading this as a kid, I would have no idea what was going on. I know. I, and yeah. the thing is, it's not you're not supposed to have a crystal clear understanding of what's going right. on. It's supposed to be absurd. So as right. a child, I think I wouldn't quite have been able to grasp that, and mm-hmm. I would have just thought it was over my head. It's you a know? very loving look at a computer. <laughs> yeah. I mm-hmm. really appreciate that the wizard who created it asks Hogfather for electricity for Christmas so that he can hope to make it run more reliably and not on ants and bees and yes, ram it's, skulls, it's which are the sources memory. of power. It's memory is all made by bees, like creating, honeycomb. yeah, creating a honeycomb That's in how data specific is pattern instead of binary. <laughs> incredible oh my um, god it's so brilliant i just yeah uh, i don't know what else what else i would expect after all these years just, from project but it's just really great oh, yeah Sorry, i'm no, uh, just reading back through its dialogue again because it's really funny and in the end hex like all of us requires a fluffy teddy bear to function properly yep. and, and it gets teddy bears really upset away, says, mine <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, it's a feeling I think we're all familiar with, especially at Christmas time. Um, so speaking of things that made me laugh a lot, uh, the scene with death in the shop for Hog's Watch being uh, the hog father and talking to the children and like the capitalist, uh, devoted capitalist running the shop is freaking out because death is giving away things for free, but he can't really, there's no he crime because they're not, it's not his stuff. Mm-hmm. Um so one of one of my favorite bits is when uh, he is asking a child what she wants for Christmas, or sorry, for Hog's Watch. Okay, and the child asks for a sword, and it, she gets a sword. It was four feet long and glinted along the blade. The mother took a deep breath. You can't give her that, she screamed. It's not safe. It's a sword, said the hog father. They're not meant to be safe. She's a child, shouted Crumley. It's educational. What if she cuts herself? That will be an important lesson. 
Yes. It's so One of my favorite parts of the entire book. The horse (gasps) that he gives to a child who asks for a horse. um, He puts it in their their dining room, right? Or their bedroom. He initially says it's in the kitchen and the mom is freaking out. And then they walk away and he's like, it's in the bedroom. More hygienic. Yes. Jeff starts discovering something at the mall when he's having kids sit on his lap and tell him about what they want for Hog's Watch. And that is that there's a fundamental flaw in the myth of Hogfather slash Santa, which is that children can get whatever it is that they desire. But because of wealth disparity, if they're not in a wealthy family, they're not actually going to get any of the things that they mm-hmm. ask for. Mm-hmm. Um, and he starts trying to rectify this by kind of evening out the gifts and goodies that he's doling out mm. and um, then starts going on a really interesting spree of like fortune reversal um, where he takes the incredibly fancy food from a French restaurant or a um, Cormian restaurant is what they call it Um, and gives that to a group of beggars and then takes the beggars planned hogs watch meal which was boots with mud in them (laughs) and delivers them to the restaurant (laughs) which the the General manager yeah. then serves. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where the funny French jokes were coming in um, because oh, he was just right. trying to come up with fancy sounding names. Uh-huh. Here, can I have the bug? With a Pratchett book, it's really hard to not just keep reading things. It, yeah, aloud. it's so readable. I remember when I was growing up, my mom would always read uh, Pratchett in the evenings while she played whole card games on her laptop. <laughs> yeah, a lot of multitasking going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and she would call me and be like, listen to this. And she'd read me a couple paragraphs, and I'd be like, ha ha ha. I don't really understand this because I'm a child, (laughs) but I appreciate that we are bonding. (laughs) That's one of the benefits of Terry Pratchett is it just gets better the older that you get. And that's Mm -hmm. why, I mean, I I do think young people, young adults should read a lot of Discworld books, Mm -hmm. Um, but then everything only becomes clearer over time. And there's so many great posts on the Discworld subreddit that are like, this one joke, I've just never understood it. And today on my yes. 10th reread of this book, I finally got it. And it's yeah. so funny and so amazing. And it's, it's part of the reason I didn't want to read this one as an audiobook because I did that with the last Terry Pratchett book we read. Um, Thud. Thud, thank you. Uh, and uh, I felt like I was missing a lot because I couldn't really go back and look at the words and think about it. So this one I wanted to read. Yeah, I don't think I could do audiobook, especially with the footnotes and right. how many jokes there are based on wordplay and like right. spelling of yeah. things. I mm-hmm. mean, something like Teo Time's name right. being a prime mm-hmm. example. Yeah. Um, but it's just, I think it's valuable to have a figure like Death applied to Hogswatch and have him point out the inherently problematic parts of this mm. holiday and tradition yeah. and how so much of it is based around individual wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But then at the same time, there is, you know, a pretty heartwarming message about like, no matter who you are or what you have, you take Hogswatch as a time to appreciate that and appreciate mm-hmm. yeah. just being alive. And however, being. yeah. And however much of a farce it is in fact, and, 
so can, of course can definitely seem at times, there's still goodness to be got from it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Mm. So let's talk a little bit about the specific changes made from Christmas and Santa to Hogfather and Hogswatch. Okay. Um, I love that Hogfather is pretty much just the same as Santa. Uh, really, the main differences are that his sled is kind of disgusting yeah. and it's pulled by hogs. Pulled by four hogs. Four hogs. I had, oh, I had a page. And one of them releases hands. a torrent of urine in the mall when death is there. As and the children father. love it. The, the children love it. The four hogs are named Gouger, Rooter, Tusker, and Snouter. It's oh, great. It's just so cute. And yeah. I want, I would really like a figurine of the four hogs pulling the mm. sleigh. I think that would be pretty amazing. With death as Hogfather. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Really I mean, we great. really don't, we don't have much of a connection to the real Hogfather because we just no. don't learn very no, much about him. he's barely in the book at all. And then he's, I, I don't think he has a line of dialogue he might say something. Oh, maybe not. No. I remember he lifts the fake beard out of the sled at the very end. Yeah, but then, I think he's stunned at that point and still kind he of dealing say with his anything. regression yeah, to different versions. I think versions. that death just says, like, whoop, my bad. Well, and I appreciate uh, Pratchett's approach to depicting him as a conglomeration of all the versions of him that mm-hmm. humanity has had over yeah. the years, too, and pointing out that... You know, although he wasn't called Hogfather and it wasn't Hogswatch at the time, there was still some kind of force mm-hmm. that people were believing in. Yeah, and he just um, adapted as a god of, to mean a different thing in the modern era. Yeah, it's it's definitely a cool approach. It reminds me of American Gods, which I feel like I keep talking about because I've just got so much Neil Gaiman on the brain. Well, and I, I guess fundamentally there aren't really that many differences between Hogswatch and Christmas. They're kind of incredibly similar. Oh, there's also, well, we'll talk more about this during pretend food, but there's a different sort of treat that's left for Hogfather than there is for Santa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I really like that it's a pretty much direct ripoff of yeah. Christmas mm-hmm. um, because we're obviously getting some pretty intense commentary on our own right, celebration yeah. of the holiday. I think it um, works. It is also interesting that there isn't any kind, I would have thought there'd be some kind of um, play on Jesus or like some sort of underlying mm, religious, religious connection figure okay. um, that would be connected. I'll be honest, I did not once <laughs> think that while I was reading this book. Didn't miss Jesus? No. <laughs> well, baby Jesus. No, I did not. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm only thinking about it now uh, because it's also... I just thought the book didn't need it. Well, and it's also kind of a commentary on the fact that the celebration of the birth of Jesus is like completely severed from Christmas at this point in our society. I'll throw this out there too. Christmas was, I mean, the whole reason it's in the middle of winter is because they stole the holiday from pagans Mm -hmm. to try to, you know, stomp out their religion with Christianity. So... That is even more of, you know, when they're imagining the different forms that Hogfather used to be. Um, she, they, she did say that the one right before the one where he's in red and white, he was all in white and he looked like a priest. Yeah. So I wonder if that was some kind of Christianity religious collect, 
connection because mm-hmm. the ones before that really did seem more pagan, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, that makes sense, actually. Yeah. That so it's a pretty specific transition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So since he's been divorced or maybe that was St. Nick. Mm, probably that yeah. that analog because that is you know that's the Christian tradition. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it was divorced from a Christian religious uh, adaptation of him because really the figure has existed for longer than that mm-hmm. in some form or another as mm-hmm. they explore in the book. Yes. Cool. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. We do get a lot of larger-than-life Jesus-type figures. Is death Jesus? (laughs) (laughs) He is doing all the hard work, man. Yeah, he's the one who is taking up the mantle of making sure that humanity doesn't lose its reason to hope. But That's an interesting point. (laughs) Is death Jesus? Write in, (laughs) dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. But there's also the complicating factor that, yes, death is interested in, okay, I wouldn't say interested in helping people exactly, but he's interested in seeing what it's like to be on the other side of things, as opposed to, as he says a few times, being the one that people are never happy to see, (laughs) being the one that they're actually looking Mm -hmm. forward to. And he also has the catching humanity um, that we've experienced yeah. in other books. Uh, if you're interested, check out our more episode that mm-hmm. specifically talks about that. Um, but in the entire death trilogy, all, all three of those books deal with him um, aping a human life. It's pretty easy for death to get sidetracked because he has, I mean, there is empathy in him mm-hmm. and his whole, he was, He's been created as, you know, he's an anthropomorphic personification and he spends so much time with humans that they rub off on him and Mm -hmm. he has like human tendencies, but can't actually live them out because he is death. (laughs) And we can see in this book, which um, is a later novel than Mort, where Mm -hmm. his cat fixation has gone because his entire house is just filled with cats. Yes! And Susan is like, oh, grandfather, (laughs) what is he doing? It's really great. Um, If I were death, I would also fill my magical castle up with cats because why not? They're great company. (laughs) So a book, another Pratchett book that this plot reminded me of quite a bit was Reaper Man in which death uh, it's kind of the convert or the inverse situation. Death stops working as death because he wants to become a farmer and his name is Bill Dorr and he just <laughs> works on a farm and it's amazing. Um, and because of that, all these souls have nowhere to go because no one's managing them. Oh, death. <laughs> and a lot of crazy consequences go down as a result. Um, and this is similar where the belief is trying to find a place to go. Mm. And I, I always enjoy that approach um, because that in a magical landscape in a fantasy book is where truly odd things can start happening when there's mm. all this energy with Okay, good point. No way to expend itself. Um, And, uh, you know, to that end, which of the made-up household gods was your favorite? The lost sock eater? (laughs) Yeah, I really liked the the sock eater, especially because the description of it was so funny. Um, And these aren't, well, okay, now these were my favorite ancillary characters, which kind of felt like the same role. Mm -hmm. 
were the Raven and the Death of Rats. Oh my god! Uh, I I knew you'd be into loved the Raven. The Raven. And <laughs> also, want to talk about him during pretend food? This pretend food is going to be a yeah whammy. Let us okay. I'll remember to bring up the Raven. Um, I really. I really loved the Oh God of Hangovers, mm-hmm. um, partly because I am very prone to hangovers. And yeah, so was I when I drank. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's something that we share. Yeah. Um, and yet I continue to drink and Madeline was wise and just completely stopped. Um, Maybe now I'm the God of... Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been, you know, I've just learned to be very careful and power through i haven't no no i just go hard power through just don't drink very much (laughs) because i i can't i can't lose my life to hangovers and if only you could give your hangover to someone else i really felt his pathos yeah (laughs) what he's saying how do you think it feels to wake up every morning and flush your life away (laughs) because you're literally vomiting it up yeah um I also really appreciated the cheerful fairy because, <laughs> because she, she was so sad. <laughs> very sad. She was not cheerful. She was there to induce cheer and force well, cheer. But she did. I know. By yeah, you're forcing right. everyone by them feel to, guilty. Yeah. She was crying. It was very effective, actually. And then they play sardines and yes. other games for hours. Wizards playing sardines. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Yeah, I just I appreciated all of the all the little gods, and then on the other end of the spectrum, the nightmares that oh, are created yeah. um, in the Tooth Fairy's domain, which is a very frightening place yeah. because it takes place inside a child's drawing. I knew uh, as soon as they described the sky with the sun inside it and the fish on the water, yeah. I was like, oh, it's from uh, Banjo's book. Oh, and that's why it was described so specifically oh, okay. the pages that sure. were bookmarked because they went sure into okay. the world through mm-hmm. that book. Um, but getting all the different henchmen's nightmares and then all of them being destroyed by them, yeah, it was disturbing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't know exactly what my nightmare would be. Um, would probably be more. I know what mine would complex, be. and we don't need to talk about Even it. Even when you were a little kid. No, I when I was a kid, um, I like what was your monster? Yeah, I, there were so many. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe. <laughs> no, I just, maybe I'm backing away from this one. <laughs> no, I'm just. I've always been a very poor sleeper, oh, and so okay. I'm often, when I am sleeping successfully enough to have dreams, I'm catching up on sleep. So then I dream really hard and really intensely and have a lot of nightmares. They've gotten a lot better over the years because I've just been able to develop healthier sleep patterns. Well, at least you met Neil Gaiman recently. You know, right? That's a better dream. (laughs) Clearly things have turned for the better. (laughs) Um, But like probably a forest of alive trees that were trying to kill me. Yikes. That can advance too. Like they can walk. There was a children's cartoon, maybe one of the Oz cartoons. Are you sure it wasn't this. that episode of uh, Never Ending Story, the cartoon <laughs> with the trees? <laughs> Where the trees are like, oh, I'm going to throw apples. <laughs> no, it wasn't that one. It's much more frightening. <laughs> what, is, what would your child nightmare come to life be? 
Uh, a, I think I've talked about this with you before, possibly on this podcast. It's fine. <laughs> um, there was a story from Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark uh, about this little, it's like this, this thing that crawls out of a grave and is this girl sees it in her window because it has come from the nearby graveyard to her house and it breaks the window and comes in and attacks her. And um, my imagining of what it looks like, it's interesting because the pictures in those are, are usually people tell the story and say like, oh, the picture was so scary. And I did think those pictures were scary, Mm -hmm. but the picture of the creature in the book, I don't even know if there was a picture. Like it's not what sparked my understanding of what that thing looked like. And I spent a lot of time, um, especially, you know, our, our bathroom on Bentley, um, there was shades on the bottom part of the window and then the top was open to the outside. And I was always so, so afraid of looking up and seeing its face in the Oh, it had the, a face. I was picturing it like pane. a weird little hand for some reason. <laughs> Just like, no, 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 a little hand. <laughs> like the um, wall climbers yeah. in Zelda. Yeah, that's, yeah. No, no, it was, no, it was a creature, but I didn't want to say okay. creature because it was horrifying and creature sounds kind of cute. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, once when I was, if that was there, then I, yeah. Once when I was maybe 14 and it was one night I couldn't sleep, but I was home alone watching TV and I was watching the Blair Witch Project because why not? Good call. Good call. A stray cat came and pressed its face up against the door. And I died. I think I'm on another life now. No, because I remember when I got home, you were like, I thought it was a dead baby. (laughs) It looked like a dead baby. Okay, so you thought a dead baby had come to the porch and was menacing you. Yes, that's my window vision. Anyway... (laughs) Okay, <laughs> that's enough of that. So we've teased pretend food a lot, but I always forget. Badass lady after pretend food, yes. right? That's how we close it out. Yes, okay. Grace, God. We've teased pretend food a lot, and I, I don't think any of that was unnecessary buildup because Sir Terry's Hogswatch gift to us was the finest fantasy food yeah. that I've experienced in a while. Yeah. And by finest, I mean alternately repulsive yeah. and glorious. Yeah. And I just really appreciate it all. It made mm-hmm. me super happy. Yeah, We haven't had any, you know, truly fantastical food for a little for a bit. bit in the books we've been covering. It's been a lot of like survival place. food. Yeah, they've taken place more firmly in a version of our world and they've been questing. Mm-hmm. as well yeah um so where should we begin i would like to talk about the little pink sugar pigs that oh my go God. in the bottom of the stocking yeah they seem to be the candy cane of hogs watch but they're so much more fun than a candy cane yeah. a pink sugar pig i'm picturing like a sugar skull only mm-hmm. it's a pig and it's pink and, and you know what Nick told me? Nick told me that you can't actually eat a real sugar skull because you glue crap yeah, to it. Yeah, it's not fully And I don't want to live in this world anymore. <laughs> we can make you some kind of sculpted sugar treat at some a point. A sugar pig. 
We'll make I want a sugar, sugar pig. pig. When we start it, when we have the funding and time to start our spinoff podcast where we just recreate foods from the books that we've covered, we will make sugar pigs. Can I promise. Cookbook. Okay, I yeah. Promise. I really want to make sugar pigs. Um, and I love that there's a line about someone biting the nose off of a yes. sugar pig, which really <laughs> illustrates the sculpted nature and of the, the sugar incredible pigs. Incredible detail. Like, it's not one mm. of those chocolate Santas that on the wrapper looks like Santa and then you open it and it looks like poop. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. it's an actual beautifully sculpted little pig made out of sugar. And the toes of the stockings. It's yeah. just so perfect. It's really wonderful. I love those sugar pigs. Great shout out. Yeah. Next food I'd like to discuss are the eyeballs that the raven yes. is constantly the, trying to eat. The raven wants eat. eyeballs so bad. Any spherical food object, mm-hmm. he immediately thinks it's eyeballs (laughs) he needs to get it so that he can have an eyeball (laughs) and tries to eat it and that ranges from uh, olives to cocktail eggs to walnuts grapes (laughs) (laughs) then there's an incredible joke that it builds to um about halfway through the book when susan is like how do you know all this? Because the raven is just endlessly dispensing wisdom. And he's like, <laughs> oh, well, I used to be a part of the raven's flock for this god who we were, you know, learning from and giving information to. Mm-hmm. And Susan's like, used to? And he's like, yeah, well, the thing is, he had these eyeballs. <laughs> That would float around outside of his head and just like things happen. (laughs) So the ravens ate his eyeballs. He was fired for eating the god's eyes. (laughs) And, you know, the raven has a really eternal optimism throughout the book that he is going to get eyeballs. And in the end, he does. He does. There's an entire dead sheep. So he gets entrails as well, which is yep. the only other thing that he cares about. He as he eyeballs and entrails. As he That's what he them. wanted for right. Watch. Um, <laughs> and he also spends some of the book trying to wear a disguise so that he looks like a robin, I think. <laughs> yes, he makes it out of a ribbon and it's like wet and gross. Yeah, the raven is a great character. Because he thinks that robins have it so easy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also, it's very funny the extent to which Susan is almost kind of Disney-fied by the end of the book because she has so many like little sidekicks yes, following her because around. Because the death of rats is also, yeah, like hangs out with the raven. And, you know, he needs people to bounce off of because all he says is squeak. Right, the raven kind of interprets for mm-hmm. him. But then also the oh god of hangovers is like trailing along behind and alternately like folding up on the ground <laughs> and then vomiting. Just barfing everywhere. Um, so yeah, but you know, Susan honestly doesn't really need that much help. She's no, she's very capable. Things yeah. firmly under control. Even Death thinks so that mm-hmm. he doesn't need to help her. That no. she's got it all covered, and he was right. Yes, and I he the only time he has a moment of uncertainty regarding her is mm-hmm. when he's not sure if she knew that the poker she threw at Mister Tea Time would have just gone through Death's body versus destroying him. him. Yeah, <laughs> but it all worked out. It, it did work out. out. Um, of course we have to mention the, I would say there are two, three, there are three feasts in this book. Mm. So the wizards, there's the wizards feast, um, which doesn't take place in full until the end because the wizards are very preoccupied with trying 
And they keep inventing gods. Trying to figure out what's going on. They're yeah. creating gods. They're trying to get the bursar to a sound mental state, which they do, and then they destroy it. Um, <laughs> They're trying to work with Hex to figure out what's going on. But they have an 11-course dinner that they traditionally yeah. have mm-hmm. on Hog's Watch. Um, and this dinner consists of an incredible number of courses that contain like every imaginable food and Mm -hmm. protein and whatnot. A lot of purees and mousses, which is (laughs) gross. Not what you're into. (laughs) Well, I like... Like something you can bite into. Well, I really like pate, but some of the things they were... Like, I like chicken liver pate. It's pretty straightforward. Some of the things they were describing was like... I mean, they did, you know, they specifically cite the fish course and the soup course and the outrageous seafood course that oh, gets yeah. read off. Um, just a sample from the feast menu. Course four, mollusks and crustaceans, a medley of lobster, crab, king crab, prawn, shrimp, oyster, clam, giant mussel, green-lipped mussel, thin-lipped mussel, and fighting tiger limpid with an herb and butter dipping sauce. Wine, three wizards chardonnay, year of the talking frog, beer, winkles old peculiar. (laughs) And let me say out of that list, I think what I want the most is winkles old peculiar. I'm pretty into that. Um, so I appreciate the, you know, more straightforward feastiness that we get from that because then it's offset by the other two absurd feasts, one of which is the stolen restaurant food Mm, that the beggars consume. Um, and then are like, well, it's making me really farty. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's what rich food does. (laughs) How they know. And then the restaurant goers who are eating boots and mud that has been baked into uh, pastries and moosed into uh, gels and boiled into steak boiled into <laughs> steaks um and the drinks are just mud that they brew um but pe- the people love it yep they're into it and then we get the nice full circle of the beggars going to the restaurant and basically blackmailing them into giving them some food and they're like i don't know it just tastes like boots and mud to me (laughs) so all worked out in the end yeah Um, I also love that, you know, we were mentioning earlier, there really aren't that many differences between Christmas and Hogswatch, but one is that Hogfather is left glasses Mm. of sherry and turnips and sometimes meat pies. Yeah. Pork pies. Pork pies. Even though his sled is pulled by pigs. Yeah. And the turnips turnips are for the pigs. pigs. I know. And Albert eats a turnip. Yeah. And drinks all the sherry. Albert, you know, really makes out the best out of all the eaters in this book because he has something like 600,000 glasses of sherry and turnips mm-hmm. or no pies. He accidentally has a turnip he has that one looks turnip. like a pie. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't Obviously, like it. It's not going to be eating the turnips. <laughs> it's, it was also just fun seeing Albert as a, um, you know, sympathetic character after him being terrifying in Morge, Mm -hmm. but that's because at at that time he's doing what he has to do. My chin itch. Like if you don't (laughs) against (laughs) against the plosive card. (laughs) Other foods of note. 
We also have the beer that the hangover, the oh god of hangovers drinks because he's never actually, he points out, gotten drunk before. Yeah, he's always just waking he just up is sick and drunk. drunk um, so he doesn't actually get to experience any of the pleasures mm-hmm. of doing that. Um, I did really also appreciate the, I guess I'll call it food, the um, potion that the wizards yes, accidentally that they create. Yeah, so um, that he can swap states with the god of wine mm-hmm. and i love i love the sound of that potion at the end uh, that it goes from a thick orange brown sludge to a fireball to an effervescent yeah. golden beautiful little flask yeah, and it does make him feel better it works mm-hmm. works perfectly yeah. yeah and then he gets to be like sober and feeling great for a little while so a little while yeah it was, it was a success mm-hmm. i would say yeah I think that's it for the foods that I have in mind right now. And I hope that all of your holiday feasts can be just just as fine mm-hmm. as the boots and mud, just as satisfying as a little yeah. sugar pig, yeah. and uh, satisfy your craving for eyeballs. That's yeah. my wish for all of you this I wish holiday that as well. season. <laughs> just going to jump on the grace... Wish wagon. It's all good. You're welcome. There's plenty of room. So our last segment, which we'll cover, um, is coming at an appropriate time because we haven't talked about her very much. Um, and she does all the hard work. She does all the hard work. So this is our badass lady meter, uh, the scale upon which we rate our fam- favorite badass ladies from the book. We are using badass only as a term to indicate that they are an awesome female character that we are excited to spend time with. Not mm-hmm. that they have to do any specific badassery. We're reclaiming the word. The end. Yes. My pick is Susan. Susan mm. Stowe Heelit. I don't really yeah. know how to pronounce it. Um, so Susan is Mort's daughter. Um, and Isabel. Morton mm-hmm. Isabel's daughter. She is... Not biologically related to death, but... But she she still has inherited traits. She does, yeah. And it's clear that she is his... She is the inheritor, the heir. Yes. The inheritor. The inherit heir. (laughs) And it's clear that she is the intended heir for the job. Yeah. Um, There's a lot I appreciate about Susan... Uh, she's trying to just... She's trying to not inherit she's it. She's trying not to inherit that job. She's, she's trying, trying to, to be normal. Be normal. Mm-hmm. Um, she is very firm <laughs> in her ways. She's very logical. But at the same time, she uses logic to beat monsters. She's dogged. Mm-hmm. She she doesn't let people... She's stubborn in a really powerful way. Like yeah. She does what she needs to do, and she doesn't let people keep her from doing those things, however impossible they may seem. And doesn't allow the children to continue to feel afraid of Mm -hmm. all the monsters that their governess created by telling them that Mm -hmm. they would come after them if they didn't do their chores or whatever. She literally smacks them with a poker and makes them go away. And the poker continues to play a key role throughout the book. I feel like it must be really battered by the end. But Susan and that poker are the only things that can bring Mr. Tea Time down yeah. after he's... I mean, he murders a lot of people in this book, most of them just innocent bystanders. He's Yeah, usually in Terry Pratchett books, the quote-unquote bad guy is still... I mean, yes, yeah, somewhat farcical as well, but 
humorous at least, mm-hmm. if not sympathetic. Yeah. Mr. Tea Time is like it's very frightening. straight up just scary bad guy with no redemption. Yeah. Because the Assassin's Guild is always fun to spend time with because they're murderers, but they have this really, really specific code that they mm-hmm. live by. They're also aristocrats, like they're nobility. Yeah. Um, and they're just horrified if anyone crosses any of those lines. Mm-hmm. Whereas Mr. Tea Time just is a pure sociopath. Yeah. Um, and beyond that, um, he's actually... He tries to kill death. Yeah, just because he wants to, as Death says, you know, when Susan's like, what, Let's see what, would what happen. was his motivation? Yeah. He's like, I think, yeah, he's one of those people who just wanted to see if Some he could do Some men just want it. to watch the world burn, <laughs> Mr. Wayne. <laughs> but Susan takes him down. I also love that Susan's hair does whatever it wants based on how it's it's feeling. Medusian. Changes styles. um, And that the bar that Susan likes to go to when she wants to be alone is like a ghoul bar. um, And she uses her death voice on people when they are harassing her. Yeah, to get them to back off. I think, I feel like we all have a death voice inside of us, but you have to reach a point of pure fury to Mm -hmm. be able to unlock it. Um, But it's a good motivation for me. I want to remember to pull that voice out when I need it. Yep. (laughs) What does your death voice sound like? I don't know. Probably just, probably very loud. I remember when I was a camp counselor, um, we were doing some kind of show we're at the amphitheater and the children were worse than usual and not paying attention and we're just trying to get everyone to sit down and shut up Mm -hmm. and i just shouted in like a very deep way like everyone sit down like like um like andre the giant's character in princess bride when he gets the crowd to move (laughs) So everybody move! Everybody move! Yeah, exactly. What's his name? Oh, um... It's... Zini... It's not Fez- Fezzig? Fezzig, He's okay. Fezzig. Yeah. yeah. Zini, Fezzig, and Inigo. Yeah. Um, Wesley? We still want to do an episode on the Princess Bride yeah. book. Um, that will definitely, we'll be doing that next year at some point. And then we'll watch the movie. Uh, I haven't watched the movie in so long. Okay, I love that movie. Um, Wesley was one of my first crushes. <laughs> Carrie Yules. Yeah. It was very cute. Yeah, very uh, harmless. <laughs> yes, very clean. <laughs> yeah, not scary. <laughs> For like a young child. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um yeah, and I just remember the camp director at the end of that evening being like, you know, I've watched you you know, grow up at this camp, basically. You've come here for so many years, and now you're working here. And I didn't know that you had that voice oh, inside of okay. you. Like, I feel like I've never heard you say or do anything like that. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, death voice. <laughs> I don't know. What's yours like? My death voice is probably, I feel like I've been using it on the phone a bit lately, Uh I mean, it depends on the situation, right? If I'm actually yeah. feeling threatened and I'm trying to get someone to back off, it's going to be deeper uh, and loud, you know, mm-hmm. um, and very deliberate. Like I, 
the plosives will be crazy. And uh, that was my strong bad voice. Doing all kinds of impressions. Um, And then the vaults. If I'm trying to accomplish something and I'm feeling very, my voice is going to go a little bit higher and I'm going to be very polite, Mm -hmm. but also very firm. Yeah. Yeah. That's my, my phone, phone power voice Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Or if like I'm in court, I'll just default to that because it's, you know, high energy trying to get something done. It is. It's nice to have a deep voice as a lady. Yeah. Um, I think. I don't think I have a deep voice though. Do I? I don't um, know. I I identify, I self-identify as having a deep voice. So that's all I was. I think yours is a a bit deeper. That's all I was saying. But it's not super deep. Labeling yours. What do you think of mine, Grace? Tell um, I think yours is pretty much like middle range. Okay, that's maybe what I've the lower thought. end of middle range. But okay, cool. Mine is deep enough that like I still have problems with my voice cracking a lot when I'm talking, hmm. um, because I'm going into too low of registers, which is where I just like get really okay. comfortable. <laughs> so. Are you enjoying this, listeners? <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. <laughs> well, we're talking about our death voices. So oh yeah, right. It's really it's all connected. It's we're not purely tangential right now it's because my voice sounds deeper to me and then when i hear it in a message it sounds higher so that's why i feel like i have a higher voice but it's still middle of the road you're right so my rating for susan Ah, i have one this time i thought of one my rating for susan not gonna wing it 20 blades that can cut through a table laden with a a wizard's feast 20 Hmm. very good my rating for Susan, it, because Susan's also my choice, uh, is a death's head of uh, practical knowledge and the application thereof. <laughs> what does a death's head mean? I mean, it's you got to interpret it. I'm not going to explain. Okay. You want me to explain? All Grace? right. And with that, closing out this segment. Um, so if you've stuck around till this point, thank you very much for listening. I know this was a slightly more fun and freewheeling episode than usual, but because we it's, wanted... it's Mr. It's Sir Terry. Sir Terry. It's and Terry we, P. And we also wanted to um, just do something a little extra fun for the holidays. Yeah. Um, and again, we want to thank you. Again, we do want to thank you. Especially you, the the people who've made it to this point. Yeah. <laughs> if you're here, you're a true fan. Even um, if you just left the podcast on while you're like <laughs> yeah. doing random stuff. Making your Christmas dinner. Oh or, yeah. I don't know. Sleeping, having a little nap with a cat on your oh, on your tummy. That sounds great. It's a great way to nap. That, yeah. yeah. Um Yeah, like we said at the outset, we've had such a good time this year and we are so excited to make more episodes to so, bring in 2019 as fine podcast style as always let us know what you think uh, let us know book recommendations uh, requests anything like that we are on twitter at dragon babies pod we are on instagram at dragon babies podcast our website is dragonbabiespodcast.com and our email is dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com And we hope that you all have a safe and very jolly holiday season. And New Year's. And happy New Year. Think of the God of Hangovers. Don't drink too much. Yeah. Remember Bilious. (laughs) That's my word of warning to myself right (laughs) now. 
Um, and yeah, we're, we'll talk to you guys soon. Until, I always say until next time with the wrong part. I'm waiting. I'm, I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye.